All right, at this time, let's stand together. We're going to look in Psalm 37, a message I call Footprints, Psalm 37 and verse 23. The Bible says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young, and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Since this is graduation Sunday, at least a portion of what I'm going to say this morning uh, should be considered within that context. Although this is the word of God, it is a great, great passage and uh, it applies to all of us, no matter what season we are in life, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That is a precious promise. The way that is spoken of in this passage could also be called a path. Whenever you walk down a path, it is impossible to know who or what it was that did it. But every path begins as a set of footprints. Somebody or something went that way first. Uh, if you've ever walked through mountainous areas unfamiliar with you, then you know what it's like to find a path. Uh, you may, as you go along that path for a while, you may think, you know what, this path is not really going the direction that I want to go. I want to go over yonder, and this path is going this way, and I think I'll just cut straight across. It looks fine. And if you've ever tried that, as I have, you know what it's like then to go off this way and find yourself facing a great crevasse or an unscalable uh, cliff. And you find over and over and over again that a shortcut is not always shorter. And that paths are often there for a good reason. If you're in flatter country, those paths may lead you around a very deep creek or river that's impassable. Uh, you might find a snake-infested swamp if you try to take a shortcut. And very far away from the paths, uh, they are there for a reason. Uh, now, when you take that way where there is no path, and you may think that you're going a way that nobody's ever gone before. I, I've tried that too. I, I just want to be different. I want to go my own way. And if you're like me, then you might have gone through great troubles. I mean, you went down through the crevasse, so you had to go down sideways and holding on to a tree. You climbed up the other side, laborious as it was and torturous as it was. And when you got there, uh, there was some plastic bottles and <laughs> uh, some paper chip bags. You thought you were where nobody had ever been. But you know, those kind of places are hard to find on this planet. People have lived here for a long, long time. And it's really, really hard for you to go somewhere that nobody has ever been before. I'm pretty sure that uh, when Neil Armstrong, I think it was Neil Armstrong, put his feet on the moon, I'm pretty sure he was, he was stepping on uncharted ground, places where men had not been before. In life, uh, we are doing the same thing. We may think we're making our own way. We may think we're making up our own plan. We may think we're going to go differently from the way that everybody else has gone. We may look at our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents and say, you know, their way was fine for them, but this is a new day. I'm going to go a new way. 
I wish I could tell you that every path that you will run across in life is a good path to follow. I don't want to leave you with that impression. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way, difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. You know, the path that Jesus describes in this passage, the way so dominated the thinking of New Testament Christians that Christianity as a whole for a long, long time was simply called the way. The way. And this way. You'll find it referred to several times in the book of Acts in exactly those terms. The way. This way. Because it dominated their thinking. Jesus was showing them, you see, a, a different way to live. And though many, many, many other people were following a wide, clearly marked, big-gated way, they were going the wrong way. Did you hear that? The crowd, the big crowd, the majority crowd, is not always going the right way. They leave a wide path, I'll give them that. So not every way that you'll run across in life is the right way. And in fact, Jesus says that his way is a very straight or narrow way, and it is difficult to follow. Now that might be hard for us to understand because after all, in just a, a few verses before this, Jesus said uh, to come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul, for my burden is easy, easy. So we might wonder, since he's promised us rest, and since he's promised us an easy way of living, my burden is easy, or my way is easy, that he would say in this passage, my way is difficult. Well, it is spiritually easy. There's nothing like going through life carrying the burden of sin and the inevitable burden of regret. Regret. Jesus says... I've got an easier way. If you're carrying that burden of sin today or trying to burden down under the power of regret, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ has grace and mercy for you if you'll bring it to Him. He'll carry that weight for you. He took it to the cross so you wouldn't have to. He'll carry that weight. Spiritually speaking, then, His way is indeed easy. But the difficulty lies not with the spirit, but with the flesh and with the world that we live in. There's a part of you that uh, longs to go the easy way, the broad way of the world, likes to fit in, likes to go along with the crowd. There's a part of you that likes that. A part of you uh, doesn't enjoy the disdain that comes from following Jesus, uh, from the feeling of somehow being out of step from the way maybe that your own heart and mind from time to time uh, pulls you away from the things of God. The flesh indeed makes it difficult. But if you'll think with me for just a moment, you know that you're surrounded most of your life by people who are carrying their own burdens and whose souls are restless because they've never come to Jesus Christ. The way is difficult. The way is a person. The way is a person. 
He has a name, and his name is Jesus. John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way. I am the way. And so right up front we understand that going this way means that we're going to be going with Jesus, and we are in him, and he is in us. He is indeed the way. In our text in Psalm 37, we're considering the inspired words of an old man. David said, I've been young, and now I'm old. He didn't mince words about it. He didn't even say, I'm older. I'm, I was young, and now I'm old. If you're old in this service this morning, there was a time when you were young. <laughs> Amen? Yeah, I, I could say that, but yeah, I'm old. Okay, there was a time, though. There was a time, and it wasn't that long ago, when I was young. I've been young, and now I'm old. I understand when I point that out to you that I'm speaking somewhat to a generation of people who have grown to be very distrustful of what old people have to say. I guess maybe it's always been that way. I mean, there was a time when I thought my parents were complete Dare I say it? Yeah, you know what I was thinking. I, I didn't think they knew very much. It's amazing how smart my parents got between the ages of 18 and 25. Can anybody say amen to that? Not, not their age, my age. Uh, you, know, you know what that is. That is. Uh, but it seems that uh, today's generation has elevated this to an almost unprecedented your ideas so much are influenced by your peers. And uh, we add into that, not just your own circle of peers, but your extended circle of peers through social media. I understand when I stand before you and preach and say, thus saith the Lord God, that you might very well go home and read a tweet that has two or three million likes. And what I said would be in complete contradiction to what the tweet says. It's not just you and your own circle of friends, but it's your extended circle of friends. And I know how powerful that is to you. I know. But still this morning, I'm preaching to you a message that is giving to you some inspired words of an old, old man. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Now, I may need help from time to time, uh, especially when I buy a new phone. <laughs> I'll admit that. You'll find a lot of older people who don't trust the latest gadgets, and they're perfectly fine doing things the way they've been doing them for 30 or 40 years. They don't seem to be all that impressed with the fact that you've got an easier way to do it. it I, I'll, I'll give you that. I preached the funeral of a man in the last decade. I say that only so you'll know this wasn't in some ancient time like the 70s, okay? <laughs> I, I preached a man's funeral in the last decade who had never borrowed money in his life. Not one time. As he moved into retirement age and his wife closed down her business, they had decided they wanted to do some traveling, and they found it was difficult to reserve hotel rooms without a credit card. He had never had one before in his life. He applied for a credit card. Guess what? 
He was turned down. Why? He had no credit history. He had to go to the bank to get a credit card from the bank. They were happy to give him one because, of course, he was a multimillionaire. And he had made it all himself, by the way. He had a computer. It was a Commodore 64. <laughs> it was brand new. His grandchildren had given it to him. They'd showed him how to turn it on, but he'd long since forgot. He only, I only knew that because he brought it up to me saying, Preacher, how much do you think that thing's worth? It's brand new. I've never used it. He was somewhat distressed when I told him to make a very good boat anchor. But uh, I, I later found out that, uh, of course, there is a uh, pretty good collector's market. Uh, it doesn't matter. He, <laughs> he was never going to sell it anyway. He, never, he didn't do that kind of thing. It, uh, didn't have a computer. Uh, didn't have an uh, Internet. Never got on the Internet. Ran a business without it, yes. Hmm. Remember, but did I mention he was a very, very successful man? Did I mention that he loved Jesus? That he was faithful to his church? That he worked and did so much for us? That he loved his pastor? I mean, he was a wonderful man. I miss him. I miss him almost every day. He never gave me advice or warned me about something that he didn't turn out to be right every single disgusting time. <laughs> I can't even begin to think of all the times that he had, I'd think of something, so I'd run something by and talk to him about something we were going to do, and he said, preach, that ain't going to work. Well, I'd go ahead and do it anyway, and we'd get out there at a business meeting, and of course it'd be, it wouldn't be going real well, and I'd look over at him, and he'd never say, I told you so. He didn't have to. All he had to do was grin. I'd see that grin, and I knew exactly what he was thinking. He was right. He's a very wise man. So I bring that up to you this morning, young people, just to tell you, you can't live a whole life without technology. Be pretty successful. Make a good way for yourself without ever having the Internet. Without He didn't have a cell phone for a long time. Wouldn't carry one. Finally got one. Guess what it was? Flip phone, you bet. I could go on and on. I learned from him that we don't need to always trust our destiny to technology. Psalm 37, you see, was written by an old David. Not a perfect David, but an old David. He had lived and loved and done right and done wrong and observed the consequences of both. It isn't surprising then that the words of our text in Psalm 37 are set against his discussion of the way of the wicked. Do not fret, verse 1, because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. Psalm 37 and 9, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth for yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. He's talking about those verbal attacks that they so frequently 
hurled against us. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. Verse 14, the wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy to slay those who have upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. David spoke a lot in this psalm about the wicked. We could preach a long time about this this morning, but for us, let's just remind us that old David knows. And he warns us about the tendency that we have as God's children to be envious toward those who are doing evil. Sometimes it seems like they're the ones that's getting ahead. Sometimes it seems like they're the ones that's getting the favor, getting the blessing. Sometimes it seems like the wicked are the one who are the most popular, who are the biggest crowd, and you know, it just seems like everything is, sometimes it seems like they might have found a shortcut to success. Remember those shortcuts. But David has lived long enough to see that their shortcuts often turn into dead ends and sometimes on a permanent basis. The wicked. But after he finishes talking to us about the wicked, he's going to talk to us about the way. And that's going to be our focus this morning. We're going to see it in two things. First of all, he gives us the way of direction. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The word ordered in this passage comes from a Hebrew word that means to stand firm or straight. It means that the path or the ground that we're on is solid and sure and dependable. It describes standing straight as opposed to the posture that we assume when we feel like our footing is uncertain. And that looks something like this. We're ready to move either way. We're crouched down. But when a person's standing up firm and solid, they know, like I know, that I'm standing on a solid oak platform and I know everything's fine. It's the way that we assume when we know that we are on good, solid territory. So when he talks about a path then that is ordered or directed by the Lord, he is going to tell you about being in a place that God has provided that is firm and solid and easily traversable. You're on solid ground. Uh, back to the mountains, if you think about it. If you've ever been in the mountains, when you were standing on a place and you felt the ground begin to move under your feet, the rocks that were given away, maybe you were on some shale. You ever tried to cross a shale bluff like this, where it was to take one step up and then slide down four steps? That's not any fun. Even when you're as young man, it wasn't fun. I would not go there today. No way. My days of doing that stuff are over, unless God intervenes. <laughs> um, being on a good, solid path, trying to make progress is a good thing. And that's exactly what God has promised us when he says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Now, there was a time when David would say to his best friend, Jonathan, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, there is but a step between me and death. You see, David understood what it was like to live in a treacherous place or be in a treacherous place. It's not so bad to be in a treacherous place if you know that your feet are solidly placed on solid ground. At the moment that David said that, there was a wicked king named Saul who was trying to kill him for no reason. Jonathan's own father. There's but a step, he says, between me and death. That was his way of saying, I make one wrong step and Saul's got me. He's right behind me. steps of a good man 
are ordered by the Lord. Young people, it's a treacherous world out there that you're living in today. Any misstep that you make ends up on video and on the internet forever. You know it. You don't even always know where the real danger is because the standards of the world is changing. What you may consider to be good and harmless fun today, in a week or a month or a year, might be something evil and horrible. How many times have you seen that? And vice versa. Something we think is evil and horrible right now may be perfectly fine in a few years because the standards of the world are always in flux. But old David says that when we follow the Lord, he gives us a place to stand that is solid and dependable and trustworthy and upright. You can stand there in full confidence. You can travel there knowing that your way is secure. It is trustworthy. It is true. It is dependable. And though you are traveling through a treacherous world and at a treacherous time in which you live, yet there is something in your life that is stable, and that stable is provided to you by the Word of God, that stability provided to you by God's own promise. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. It's a way then of direction. But then it's a way of delight. He, and you'll notice that's capitalized, it refers to God. God delights in His way. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and He delights in His way. You see, God has great delight when He sees His children following the way that He has provided for us. It has been one that He has carefully prepared and meticulously laid out. Jesus Christ Himself is the way, and that means that this way was very costly, provided at a great price. God takes great delight then in those following His way. He blesses us and He prepares for us. Though there may be times, He says, when we stumble and fall. Though we fall, He shall not be utterly cast down. David could talk about those falls. There was a time in his life when David was on the throne, enjoying all the position of being king over the whole land of Israel. And he raised up a traitor. And that traitor was his own son, Absalom. He turned the nation away from David. He found everybody who had a, a beef, everybody who had a complaint, everybody who had a gripe, everybody who didn't like something David did. And I mean, suddenly Absalom was his best friend. And before long, he had a huge following. And the followers of David seemingly had gone to so small and Finally, the word of his treachery, even David's own trusted advisor, Hithophel, was drawn into Absalom's rebellion. Absalom was young and strong and good-looking. David, by this time, was much older. The people followed Absalom. David left the throne, left Jerusalem. You see, there were times when he fell, and it was not of his own choosing. Somebody knocked him down. Though he was doing right, trying to live right. He could talk to us about that. There were other times when his fall was very much about his own decision. That awful time when he decided to take Uriah the Hittite's wife. 
Oh, yeah, David had done his share of stumbling. He could speak firsthand about both of those experiences. But whether the fall was self-inflicted or whether the fall was caused by someone else, listen, David came back. And that's exactly what this passage promises us. Though he fall, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And even if you're trying to follow God's path and maybe you stumble and fall, yet he says he will not be utterly cast down. We don't fall in such a way that we can't get up again, even if it's what we deserve or deserve because of our own poor choices. Our God is a God of mercy. Remember that God said to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 9, Now therefore thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people over Israel. I've got good news for all of you this morning. God remembers where you're from. Okay? You remember that lady in the nursery that tells you, I used to change your diaper. Well, you know what? God knew you before that. <laughs> he knows what you are. He knows where you're from. He knows everything good about you. He knows everything weak about you as well. I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, and made you king over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone. Isn't that a great promise? You see, sometimes the falls might be fatal, except the Lord upholds you with His hand. Most of us could give testimony to the fact that we've done enough stupid stuff in our life that we should be dead. And I knew none of you was going to say amen to that, but... <laughs> I can certainly raise my hand to that, yeah. But the Lord upholds us with His hand. When we as God's people stumble, and we will and we do, there's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that both identifies our sin, we feel it in our hearts, I've done wrong, and it leads us, drives us then to forgiveness and confession. It's a way of protection as God takes care of us even then when we stumble. And so because God's delight is upon us as we're trying to follow His way, then He has promised that even when we fall and stumble, that He'll take care of us and protect us. But it's also a promise of His continuing presence. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken. God told him, David, I've been with you everywhere you have gone. It would do us all good from time to time to think about that wherever we go, we take God with us as His children. Whatever we listen to, God listens to. Whatever we watch, God watches. Whatever I've been with you, wherever you go. I've been young, now I'm old, but I've not seen the righteous forsaken. That promise was, of course, affirmed in the New Testament by the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 13 and verse 5 where God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
But maybe David is in this case not only thinking about all the things that God has promised us about his presence, but also about the way that God brings people into our lives because we know that God is not going to forsake us. But there are times when the blessings of God and the provisions of God and the care of God and the love of God is provided to us through his people. And David experienced that too. Remember that time when Absalom drove him from the throne and yet 2 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 27 says it came to pass when David was came uh, to Mahanaim that Shobai the son of Nahash of Ravah of the children of Ammon and Meshir the son of Amiel of Lodabar and Barzillai the Gileadite of Rosalim brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched corn and beans and lentils and parched pulse and honey and butter and sheep and cheese of kind for David and for the people that were with him to eat for they said the people is hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. In his hour of his greatest need in the time where he had left Jerusalem with nothing but the clothes on his back when he was facing the taunts of Absalom even as he climbed up on the rooftop with his own wives and, and began to perform shameless things in front of all of Israel just to humiliate David and to heap scorn upon David when everybody was putting him down when everybody had counted him round and yet God saw to it that these great men came to him and provided for him. You've been there times when God's people have rallied around you and helped you. Maybe that's what David's thinking about too. Not just about how God takes care of us. And for those of you who are embarking on a college career, maybe you're going out in the world for the first time. Maybe God is, is, maybe you're going to go far away from us. <laughs> but I want you to know your church family in a way is going with you. We're praying for you. And if you need us, we're just a phone call away. You let us know. Because we'll be there for you. I've been young, now I'm old, David said, but I've not seen the righteous forsaken. I've not seen his seed standing on a street corner begging for bread. David didn't have to beg for bread, and you won't either. If God's people hear of your need, we'll supply it. In a time when people then are obsessed with all things new and seemingly rejecting a lot of things that are old, the word of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah will serve as our concluding passage this morning. Jeremiah was a young man himself at the time. He said this, Jeremiah 6, 16, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. But they said, and that was his people Israel, We will not walk therein. Technology today is far past walking. Amen? I mean, let's face it. You can move with incredible speed these days. But as your technology is moving you so fast, let me encourage you that your technology can still take you down the old paths. You don't have to choose one or the other. I mean, all of us, we drive cars. Amen? Trucks, even better. Amen? <laughs> oh, Brother Rich, I've got a minivan. Minivan? Hey, it gets you from point A to point B. 
got all that incredible technology harnessed in that phone. That's great. But that doesn't mean you can't load all of that stuff up and still walk the old paths that will bring you rest to your soul. There's a world full of restless souls out there. You'll find them. You'll see them. You see them already. They don't know where they're going. They have more questions about who they are, what they are, what life is about, than they have answers. That's why what Jeremiah says is so cool. Find the old paths. That means that generations of people have lived and died following that same way. And while you're on it, God says, I'll see to it that you have rest for your souls. I put before you this morning a great, great promise. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he shall direct thy paths. The old hymn writer perhaps said it best. And I'll try to to sing it my best. There is an unseen hand to me that leads through ways I cannot see. While going through this world of woe, this hand still leads me as I go. I'm trusting to the unseen hand that guides me through this weary land. And some sweet day I'll reach that strand Still guided by the unseen hand And you parents this morning, I threw that one in for you too. When you can't see your kids you can be very grateful for that unseen hand. He sees them. And he promised to guide them. All of these provisions and promises, of course, are wrapped up in Jesus Christ who said, I'm the way. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then you don't know the way. Good news is that Jesus left the glory of heaven, came and lived and died a sinless life and a sacrificial death so that you and I could call upon him by faith. The Bible gives a simple message, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Trust in him. There'll never be a better time than right now for you to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've been carrying that load of sin long enough. I'm going to try to be better. You'll never be better enough. It's time to trust Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Him. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to be your Savior. He will. 
He will. Come forward, walk this aisle, tell me about it. We'll rejoice with you. I'll get the water hot and we'll have a baptism tonight if you want it. There'll never be a better time than now for you to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've walked away from Him. You've been on a shortcut that's not very short. The way back is simple. It's turn around. Let's stand together, please.